So today I want to do something a little bit different. I want to give you a little bit of insight into, I guess, who I am and, and what brought me to where I am today. For those who aren't totally familiar with our practice, we take a disciplined approach. We're very long-term focused. We're not stock traders. We focus very much on financial planning and we, we really are, um, as a very disciplined in what we do. And so in today's podcast, I want to talk to you a bit about the mentor that I had um, and the lessons that I learned and more importantly, how these lessons I think can help you. So without any further ado, cue the music. Welcome to Living Richer with Mark Shimkovitz, Vice President at Raymond James Private Client Group, one of Canada's largest independent investment firms. In this podcast, he'll share with you the things you need to know and things you need to do to build a smart financial plan. Follow along with Mark and learn how to invest wisely, avoid financial mistakes, and navigate life's curveballs without fear. Now, let's get started. So, welcome back to the Living Richer podcast, and as always, I'm your host, Mark Shimkovitz. Today we're going to be talking about someone who, although I've never actually met the man, has been a bit of a mentor for me. And I'm talking about Warren Buffett. He's had such a huge impact on me and my career as a financial advisor, I thought it would be helpful to share with you some of the best lessons that I've learned from him. Now, chances are you've heard of Warren Buffett. I mean, most people have. You probably know that he's the founder of a company called Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, Berkshire is one of the largest companies in the world. You also likely know that he is extremely rich. And he's also a philanthropist. He's committed to giving away most of his fortune. And he's frugal, choosing to invest his money, uh, the money that he makes, rather than to live an opulent lifestyle. Now, in case you're not totally familiar with Berkshire Hathaway, it's basically a holding company, uh, a company that invests in a lot of other companies, companies like Apple, Bank of America, Coke, Kraft, Visa. There are literally hundreds of public and private companies that it owns. In a sense, Berkshire is like a massive mutual fund. So want to know how well Berkshire has performed? Make sure you're sitting down, okay? Since 1964, the price of Berkshire's Class A stock has increased by more than 2.4 million percent. It's generated a compound annual return of over 20% a year. So by comparison, that's more than double the 9.7% return on the overall U.S. stock market, the S&P 500. So a $10,000 investment in 1964 would be worth $240 million today. Where was I in 1964? Oh, yeah, I wasn't born. But if that doesn't, so that doesn't make you want to listen to the end of this podcast. I'm not quite sure what will. So Wharton Buffett uh, is simply a phenomenal investor. He knows how to pick companies. He's a patient investor who likes to buy good companies when they're cheap and hold on to them. He's been investing pretty much his entire life. In fact, Buffett made his first stock investment when he was only 11 years old. He bought six shares of an oil services company called Cities Services. Uh, before he bought it, though, he did a lot of research, and the stock was trading at $38 a share. He thought it was undervalued and that he could make a profit on it. Unfortunately, the stock lost almost a third of its value within just a few weeks. But Buffett was confident about it, so he held on. Sure enough, it rebounded, um, got back to the $40 he paid, and sorry, got back to $40, which is a little, which was $2 more than what he paid, and he sold it. 
So after cashing in, he watched the stock increase to over $200 a share. And I think he learned a lot of lessons just from that very single investment. The things that he did right, like you know, researching, investing in quality, um, not being spooked out by a pullback. But he also made some mistakes, like selling simply to take a profit, despite the fact that nothing had really changed in the fundamentals uh, or had changed in his analysis. So every year... And this is really what I want to talk about. Buffett writes an open letter to Berkshire Hathaway shareholders. These annual letters are pretty much required reading within the investing world. They provide an insight into how Buffett and his team think about everything from investment strategy to stock ownership to company culture to life in general. So let's face it. Most companies write letters to shareholders, so that's not anything unique. The thing that really separates his from so many others is that he avoids technical jargon. He writes his letters in a very, I guess you can say, down-to-earth sort of way, in easy-to-understand language, and that's what I really like because people can understand it. In between updates on Berkshire's current investments, he tells jokes, he shares anecdotes, and every once in a while, he drops a line that becomes a quote that just lives on and on. And because there are so many lessons that I've taken to heart, what I want to do today is give you what I think are some of the highlights that I've gleaned from the Oracle of Omaha, that's what he goes by, from his letters over the years. So let's get to the lessons. As a reminder, Don't worry about writing them down because I'm going to have a blog post outlining them. In fact, if you want to get uh, any of my podcasts summarized, they're all available on my website, markshimkovitz.com. You'll find a link to them on the homepage. So the first lesson that applies to pretty much everyone is to be patient, move slowly. Or in Warren Buffett's words, I don't like to jump over seven foot bars. I look around for one foot bars that I can step over. So what does this mean? Don't try and accomplish your goals too quickly. Investing is a marathon, not a sprint. And the way I see it, the journey to success really is a ladder. You have to take it one step at a time. I don't think he would have had the same level of success if he'd tried to do too many things at once. So if you're just getting started in your financial journey, pick one area that you want to focus on and stick to that. If you're finding a lot of gaps in your estate plan, your retirement plan, your budget, or your financial literacy, or anything, Pick one and dedicate time and effort to that. The next lesson I learned from him is to invest in yourself. Uh, So Buffett often speaks to business school students, and, and when he does, he sometimes gives them the following thought experiment. What he says is, imagine you can invest in one of your classmates, and you'll be entitled to a 10% return or 10% of all of their future earnings. Who would you choose? Tell me some of the characteristics that person would possess. He says that most students wouldn't simply choose the classmates with the highest marks. They'd be more likely to pick someone who's driven to excel and isn't satisfied with mediocrity. They'll probably also have a lot of other positive characteristics, characteristics like generosity, patience, integrity, sociability. The point of the exercise is to show students that the skills they're looking for aren't innate for some people and not others, but they're skills that anyone could build in themselves. So he tells students that every one of them has the potential to be the person worth investing in. So what's the lesson here? It's that you should 
consciously choose to develop those positive traits if you want to realize your full potential. If you want to become the kind of person others want to invest in, invest in your own skills and traits. He closes out the exercise by saying that unlike getting a 10% return when you invest in someone else, those traits, when you invest in yourself, you'll get the full 100%. So a second ago, I mentioned patience as being a characteristic that's uh, tied to success. So I want to focus in on that because that's the next lesson that Buffett taught me. An analogy I often use is one tied to baseball. When you swing for home runs, you're a lot more likely to strike out. But when you swing for singles and doubles, you get on base a lot more often. So Buffett says that investing differs from baseball because with investing, You don't get strikes called against you with every pitch. You can miss perfect pitch after perfect pitch. They're not calling strikes. You can stand at the plate all day long and not swing if you don't see any pitches you like. The problem is people like to see activity, even when the best action is to take no action at all. Imagine you did that with Buffett's stock back in 1964. You bought it. And then you never did anything at all. 55 years later, you're up 2.4 million percent. So the right mentality is to get rich slowly, not get rich fast. Too many investors can't wait to reach their financial goals. The industry tends to shine a spotlight on quarterly performance and keeping up with benchmarks. It encourages investors to sell whatever has recently underperformed, in other words, to sell low, and to buy more of whatever has recently outperformed In other words, to buy high. Even investment professionals feel short-term pressure, justifiably feeling that, you know, one bad quarter or year could cause them to lose clients and have them pull their assets. That's one of the reasons why the majority of mutual fund managers underperform their benchmark. It's dangerous to try to outperform the market in the short term. You don't need to do it. You're better off not trying. Just be consistent. Be patient wait for your pitch. In addition to being patient, Buffett also says that it's critical to invest unemotionally. In my opinion, this is probably the hardest one to follow. But if you can accomplish it, it's probably also the most impactful. Let's face it, it's human nature to be emotional. But when it comes to investing, it actually reduces your investment and returns and can totally derail the best laid financial plans. There's a growing focus in the investment industry in an area called behavioral finance or behavioral economics, that's sometimes called. It's all about how emotions impact what we do. It looks at how those decisions can be completely different than the actions we should be intuitively following. The biggest mistakes that people make usually occur because they let their emotions, their egos, their cognitive biases take control. One type of bias we see a lot in the industry is called confirmation bias. Actually, you see it in a lot of different areas. People tend to seek out and place more confidence in evidence that supports their position rather than evidence that might refute it. If someone is thinking, you know, hey, Bitcoin, that's going to be going up, they'll talk at length with the cabbie who just invested in it, but completely ignore the strategist who say it's in in a bubble. Another bias investors suffer from is called anchoring. Say you make an investment for $1,000. It goes up and doubles, goes to $2,000, and then pulls back to $1,500 before you sell it. You might feel upset that you lost $500 because you're anchored to that 
$2,000 point, even though you still made $500, a 50% return. But what if instead it started off at $1,000 and went to $1,500 and then no higher? You sell it. You still made the same 50%. And how do you feel now? You, you ended up selling it at the high. In that case, you might think you did well. That's because your performance wasn't tied to some arbitrary anchor. Another emotion that people are often affected by is related to risk. They think about risk more when things are already going badly and less when things are doing well. If you're measuring risk by how much an investment can go up or down, why is it that when an investment doubles and goes from, say, $5 to $10, that's not risky? But if it drops by 50% and goes from $10 to $5, then, oh my God, that's a risky investment. Clearly, investors should be thinking about risk the same way, regardless of if things are going up or down. Now, Buffett has proven himself to be the epitome of rationality. He has said that he's never given up a good night's sleep for a chance at a slightly better return. To invest better, I tell everyone that they should become a student of human psychology. Learn how these emotions can lead to cognitive errors. The more you understand emotions and how they can lead you astray, the better chance that you can avoid those errors and benefit when others make them. Another important lesson that comes out um, of his letters is to think for yourself. Investment noise is everywhere. Financial news programs are more about speculation than investing. Their job is to entertain you, to keep you watching so they can sell ads. Let's face it, that's what keeps them in business, right? Boring doesn't sell. It's boring. <laughs> but turn on the financial news and the lights are flashing, the ticker's rolling, the buzzers are going, pundits are always there with a superficial one-minute analysis on whatever hot stock happens to be in the news that day. They're more about promotion than investing. If someone is actively trying to sell you something, you probably shouldn't buy it. The same holds true with negative news. They sensationalize it. If you don't turn out or tune out the noise, I should say, you're likely to get swept up by it. Fear and greed are contagious. And they're also subject to that confirmation bias I just talked about a minute ago. When the market's in a bubble, and that market could be anything. It could be the stock market, a real estate market, or I don't know, uh, the market for 1960s rookie hockey cards for all I know. Watch how often the media is parading out these quote-unquote experts to confirm why it's going higher. If someone's a skeptic, they look like the idiot and all the lemmings look like geniuses. That is, until the bubble bursts. So let's follow Buffett's lead on this one and not worry about looking like an idiot. Think for yourself. Ignore the crowd. The next lesson from Warren is one of my favorites, and that says that he, you should be selectively contrarian. And I think there's an example that played out very recently. Uh, it, it, it really is closely related to the prior point. Sometimes it's best not to merely ignore the crowd, but to see which way they're going and perhaps explore whether it's worth going the other way. Buffett often buys when people are selling and vice versa. The thing is, it's hard to buy what's popular and do well because by the time the investment's gone up, doing well, it's done so because so many other people have already piled in. The Buffett quote, I 
always use with clients is that you should be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. And here's a great example of how badly the average investor underperforms. So there's a company called Dalbar, um, and they study investor behavior, investor returns. And for my entire career, they've been doing the same annual study. And guess what? They always find the same results. And it's that the average investor regularly earns below average returns. So get this, for the 20 years leading up to 2015, the U.S. market has averaged 9.85% a year, which is, I guess you could say, pretty good. Meanwhile, though, the average stock investor earned a market return of only 5.19%. So that's what's that, 4.5% less than the market. In 2018, the U.S. market was down 4.4%. The average investor, they were down 9.4%. Sounds crazy, right? Well, the reason is simple, and it's all rooted in behavioral finance and something called recency bias. At least that's the way I see it. When the markets are going up, people are going people are gonna focus on what they're seeing and they tend to believe it's going to continue. So investors pile in. They're not getting in at the bottom. They might get in the middle. More often than not, they're getting in at the top. When the markets are dropping, they're again thinking that, well, geez, this thing's going to continue forever, and they run for the exits, but not until the market has usually bottomed. So they buy high and sell low. So how do you deal with it? Don't become your own worst enemy. Don't follow the crowd. The next time you find yourself following the crowd, just stop. Ask yourself if your plan has changed. Ask yourself if you think you're falling victim to one of these biases. Notice what you're about to do and why. Ask yourself if the actions are aligned with your plan or if they're aligned with what the crowd is doing. Think for yourself and stick to your plan. The easiest way to avoid the crowd, truthfully, is to avoid paying attention to them altogether. So how about this? Turn off the business news channel. Go for a walk. You'll get some fresh air. You'll realize that what you are about to do is Uh, to be reactive and not proactive, and your plan will remain intact. I tell you, as a financial advisor, the role I often play is someone who's there to be a voice of reason and to protect clients, truthfully, sometimes from themselves. If you hire an advisor, you want to have someone who's going to act as an intermediary between you and your emotions. If you're going to be managing your own investments, You'll need some rules to keep your emotions out of the buy and sell process. The number one rule in terms of how to react to changes in the market is you don't. You do nothing. You should never react to the market. I want you to be proactive, not reactive. If the market's going down, ask yourself, as I said before, have my financial goals changed? Is my savings strategy in place? Am I continuing to add to my savings? That's a priority for you, not what's going on in the market. What about your portfolio strategy? Am I buying the great companies of the world? Is my portfolio diversified around the world and in a lot of different sectors? Is my asset allocation and my investments, are they aligned with my long-term goals? If the answers are yes, then the short-term change in the markets does not matter. The Nobel Prize-winning economist Eugene Pham actually once said that your money is like a bar of soap. The more you handle it, the less you'll have. And I think that that's a very true thing. So the other rule to remember is that it's, 
it's like science and science works. It's in fact been academically proven that a disciplined approach to investing delivers higher returns. It's based on a combination of simple fundamentals. It's boring, but it works. So I want to close out today's episode by leaving you with three Buffett quotes to live by. Number one, you only find out who's swimming naked when the tide goes out. So that was in his 2001 letter. And the reason I like the quote is because it gets to the core of a long-term strategy. When the market's rising and business is easy, everyone looks like a genius. After all, there's a saying that goes, a rising tide lifts all boats. It's easy to pick winners when everything's going up. It's during difficult times when quality investments, quality strategies, and quality investors are separated from the pack. So the lesson is stick to your discipline and stick to your strategy. Number two. Sir Isaac Newton had his three laws of motion, right? In Buffett's 2005 letter, he came out with the fourth law of motion, quote, for investors as a whole, returns decrease as motion increases. So the next time you're feeling that itch, that itch to react to the markets, take my advice. Don't just do something, stand there. I like that? Kind of the opposite. (laughs) Anyways, made me laugh. Um, And then number three. You don't need to be a rocket scientist. And that's his quote. Investing is not a game where the guy with 160 IQ beats a guy with 130 IQ. Keep it simple. Think about the companies that Buffett's invested in. It's not necessary to do extraordinary things to get extraordinary results. And that's it. So thank you very much for joining me today. I can't wait to keep sharing with you and connecting with you and helping you build your wealth. And hey, it, remember, if you like what you hit, heard so far, you can hit the subscribe button. Um, and please be sure to share this with friends. I'm always welcoming new listeners. Feel free to connect with me as well. Um, if you've got any questions or if there are topics that you'd like me to cover, I'd love to hear from you. So thanks again for listening. And I will see you next time on Living Richer. Information in this podcast is from sources believed to be reliable. However, we cannot represent that it is accurate or complete. It is provided as a general source of information and should not be considered personal investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell securities. Raymond James advisors are not tax advisors, and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax-related matters. The views are those of Mark Shinkovitz and not necessarily those of Raymond James Limited. Investors considering any investment should consult with their investment advisor to ensure that it is suitable for the investor's circumstances and risk tolerance before making any investment decision. Securities-related products and services are offered through Raymond James Limited, member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member of Canadian Investor Protection Fund.